Hello and welcome to CAD Speaker Series podcast. This week, CID student ambassador Abila Latif interviews Danny Bahar, research fellow at Brookings Institution and associate at Harvard Center for International Development, and Miguel Angel Santos, adjunct professor in public policy at the Harvard Kennedy School and senior research fellow at Harvard Center for International Development. Danny and Miguel talk about their research paper, One More Resource Curse, Dutch Disease and Export Concentration. In the interview, they explain the concept of Dutch disease and talk about why natural resources can be seen as a curse from an economic perspective. They also discuss the motivation behind their research, their main findings, and explain how policymakers can use these learnings to make smarter policy decisions. Hello, Miguel and Danny. Thank you for joining us from Brookings. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. As you know, I am not an economist and neither is a large part of our audience. So I would like to start the interview by unpacking the title of your paper, which is One More Resource Curse, Dutch Disease and Export Concentration. So first, um, Miguel, what, what type of resource are you alluding to in this title? Can you help set the context for our discussion today and tell us why resources viewed as a curse? Well, we use a list of natural resources used in the literature that not only include oil and gas and mining, but also some other commodities. And then we tried if the results of our paper were robust to changing that definition. But in essence, we were mostly thinking about mineral resources and oil and primary commodities, although for some of the tests that we did in the paper, we use oil and gas uh, databases. Thank you. Danny, could you explain what is Dutch disease in layman terms? Yeah, well, you know, so so these, these resource courses is kind of the irony, one of the most interesting ironies in, uh, in economics that usually the countries that have a lot of, that are very rich in natural resources, they tend to underperform for some reason. So, so this has been an, an issue that economists have studied for quite a bit. Um, and it, it is a little bit of an old literature, but, but in this paper, um, Miguel and I, I think we, we brought in a new aspect of it. And the Dutch disease in particular is, is, is an episode that happened in, in, in the Netherlands, mm. um, where uh, suddenly the price of natural resources went up dramatically. And you would expect this. the prices, of, if you're an, 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 a country that is an exporter of natural resources and suddenly the price goes up, so everything should be, everybody should be better off. But what ended up happening is that actually the economy collapsed. Mm. So nobody really understood why is this happening. And, and then the, this term Dutch disease came up to, to explain the situation in which suddenly you have a... Um, a windfall, like a huge income because of your natural resources. And then a lot of processes happen within the economy in which, at the end of the story, your tradable sector becomes less competitive and shrinks. Um, and that actually uh, could cause a negative effect on the economy. Um, there are many reasons why this happens. For instance, the most common explanation of it is that when there's a boom of natural resources, meaning the prices go up or suddenly you find an oil field and you have more to export. That sector, the oil sector, for instance, will want to get more workers. And in order for them to get more workers, the salaries, will, they, they will have to offer better salaries to attract the workers from the other sectors. So they can do that and they can offer the higher salaries because they, now they have more money because of the oil uh, being more expensive. Uh, but then the other sectors become less competitive because if they have to pay also the same amount of salaries, 
they cannot compete with the goods in the, in the rest of the world. For instance, if you're making cars, but now you have to pay a much higher salary for the workers in your car industry, then maybe your cars are not going to be as attractive for other countries. So that is kind of a little bit the, the, the dynamics, the typical dynamics of what a Dutch sees. Um, and, and that's what the research has been so far in understanding these dynamics. Yeah, it's exactly what Danny was saying. It's like normally the assumption and all the argument he was making is that if you have oil, you're going to export oil for sure because not everybody has oil. It's a very scarce good. But if you do cars, you do have to compete with a lot of countries in the world that are trying to manufacture cars. So if all of a sudden a country has an oil windfall and spends the money in the economy, the salaries will go up. And the guys that do the cars all of a sudden will be forced to pay higher salaries to their employees, but they have to compete with other countries that are also manufacturing cars. So that's what Danny said, like the, the non-mineral or non-oil or non-resource sector become less competitive because you just had an oil windfall that put a lot of pressure in the salaries of your economy. Thank you. That was very interesting. So finally, I kind of understood a bit. <laughs> um, Miguel, let me let me direct the second question to you. Can you briefly summarize for our listeners the motivation for this research and what were the main findings? Well, I guess the key motivation for guys like Danny and me, it's we are from Venezuela. Venezuela is, a, is an oil-rich country inhabited by very poor people. Uh, we are supposed to have the largest oil reserves in the world, and then yet we cannot feed our own people. So I guess that's where our interests lie in when it comes to Dutch disease. Now, Danny is an expert on looking at, at goods, what happens to trades between specific goods. And one of the things that we saw when we got together to talk about this paper is the Dutch disease theory that, like Danny said, is a very old theory. It talks about the non-oil resource sector as a whole. So when oil goes up, the mineral sector will boom and the non-mineral sector will suffer a lot, but they talk about the whole thing. And we were wondering what happened to the sectors because the non-oil sector, it's composed by a lot of industries. And we were wondering, do all the industries suffer? Is there any industry that is more resilient than any other for some reason? So we were trying to unpack the conclusion of the literature that if oil prices go up, you, your non-oil, non-resource sector will suffer. And we were asking, well, I, we know that, but what happens if we go into that basket of non-oil goods and we check for particular goods? Can we detect a pattern that determines what makes some type of industries more vulnerable and, and what makes them more resilient within that basket that as a whole suffers? Yeah, I mean, I also want to add that that uh, I think that part of the of the motivation for the title of the paper, which is one more resource course, is very linked to the work that is being done at Harvard CID on the on a day to day basis, right? Because in CID th th there's a very important focus and there's excellent work on trying to show how the path to economic growth and development goes by the diversification of, of the export basket of, of countries. And here we're showing, well, some countries are going to have a very tough time. I mean, diversifying is, is hard on, on its own, but some countries that have large natural resource sectors, they're going to have even a tougher time uh, because of, of, of what we're finding. So, so I think that that was also part of the motivation to understand um, if there's anything uh, that is a particular to countries that are important exporters of natural resources that is also making it harder for them to develop 
looking it from the looking it from the perspective of export diversification, which is the one of the main uh, outcomes of the research coming out of CID. Danny, do you want to touch on the main findings of the paper? Yeah, gladly. As Miguel said before, and and we're really trying to understand what's happening inside of the non-resource export basket. Um, and what we find actually in just a few sentences is that these countries that that are more prone to dodge disease, or these countries that have um, a very large uh, share, that a very large share of the exports are natural resources, meaning that they're very volatile to changes in the price of, of commodities and so on. So, so they could get a Dutch disease very easily. We do find that these countries tend to be much less diversified in their non-resource export, right? Which is an important point, of course. Of course, that they're more, if you have a large oil sector, you're by definition less diversified, but we are only looking at, we're not looking at the oil sector. We're just looking at in terms of all the manufacturing that you do, that you do you're also less diversified within that uh, set. Um, so, so, so that's a result number one, which is uh, then contributing to what we know by saying, well, not only Dutch disease makes all your non-resource sector become become smaller, it also making it more concentrated. So you're you're exporting less industries. I would say that the other second most important finding is that we go ahead and try to understand what type of products are the ones that thrive. Um, or not. And what we find is that the ones that actually don't do as bad or do better, if you want to call it, uh, if you want to stay in relative terms, are those goods that are capital intensive. And and the reasoning is very easy, is that when you are very prone to dodge disease, when when your natural resources can suddenly make you have a lot of income and then the wages, you're going to have pressures for wages to go up, so then all of your products that are labor intensive, meaning that they use a lot of workers, these products are going to become less competitive. And the ones that are going to thrive are the ones that use less workers, meaning the ones that are most based on machinery and and, 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 and so on. So right. um, this is an important finding in the sense that it talks a lot about policy, which we can touch upon a little bit later, um, that countries that are trying to to find ways to strengthen their industries, they should think about this finding uh, in the case that there, we're talking about a natural resource-rich country, because putting efforts in in your labor-intensive industries uh, might not be as fruitful as as in your capital-intensive. This is also bad news, by the way, because this means that um, if you're I, if you're trying to strengthen some industries to fight unemployment, all results are not very good news for that, because the the industries that are hurt the most are actually the ones that can employ more people. Right. Okay. Thank you. And I and I think this leads us to the next question. I'm just going to quickly say in a sentence what you explained that as labor wages rise after a resource windfall, labor intensive exports shrink either in variety or in quantity and capital intensive exports fill that gap. So, now this change or what you're calling export concentration, is this more noticeable in developing countries and if so, are, are we suggesting a causation here? Yeah, well, that, that's actually, or all, all of our results are driven by developing countries. Uh, all of our results, we did our results for a whole sample of world countries, and then we divided OECD countries and developing countries. And like the bulk of our results are driven by developing countries. So that basically it means two things. First, developing countries uh, tend to have more... Uh, uh, mineral and oil and primary goods in their export basket. 
and because of that is important. And second thing, developing countries do not have the institutions that help the rest of the economy be isolated from an oil boom. And I think those are the two reasons. Um, if you look at a, at a country that is highly diversified, like Mexico, it's one of the few developing countries that had a lot of oil, that 30 years ago, oil was 50 or 60% of their exports. Nowadays, it's just 15%. That's a very, very uh, uncommon example. Most of the times, developing countries stay around a fairly basic basket of goods that are all mineral and primary commodities. And what our paper is finding is that they don't only have that as a problem, but they don't have institutions to isolate the non-resource sector from the maladies of Dutch disease, as, as Danny and I described. So, you know, one of the things that, that was a challenge in this paper is that economists, we economists spend a lot of time like thinking whether the finding that we have is just a correlation or is a causation or some other thing is causing it. So we actually put a lot of effort on this paper and trying to to disentangle that and to and to be able to come today and tell you this is actually a causal relationship. We are actually finding that countries that suffer from Dutch disease, they end up having a less diversified export basket of their non-resource exports. And the way we did this is by using another set of information that that give us an idea, give us some variation on how much natural resource exports you are having that it's kind of unrelated to anything else. So, for instance, we took all the changes in prices of commodities, of oil and corn and gold and all of those things, and we look at episodes in which there was spike in these prices, these are war prices, and then we see what happens before and after. So usually we do find that after the spike in the price, we this, we see that the, the, the non-resource sector becomes much more concentrated. So... So here we're cert- we, we can assume, uh, assure with more certainty that this is a causal result. We also, for instance, used discovery of oil and gas fields, a data set that has all the discoveries of all the oil and gas fields in the world with, with their date. So then we're looking also at cases in which countries uh, suddenly start exporting much more oil because they discovered a field. And in those instances, we also see that what hap- what follows afterwards is that their non-resource export basket becomes more concentrated. So in that sense, we made a lot of efforts here to really try to establish a, a causal relationship. And, and, and I think that's also pretty neat and, and, and one of the innovations of this paper. And, and I want to add something on the institutions just for listeners to, to have a, better, a, a, a good example. For instance, when we talk about Norway which is a country that we all uh, see as a, I mean, it is a developed country and, and, and they have um, a lot of success, even though they have a very important natural resource sector. I mean, the way they manage this is, is institutionally, uh, they, for instance, have a fund. They have a fund, an stabilization fund, in which a lot of the proceedings that come from oil, they will put them in that fund so that when times are bad, for instance, they can use some of those funds to... Uh, somehow assisting social programs or or even perhaps the industries to help them. The, in the other extreme, we have our own Venezuela, which we're, we're as Miguel said, where we're both are from, which had a, an amazing oil boom um, in the during the 2000s, and now the country has is, has one of the largest external debts in the in the world, and it's uh, is going through a humanitarian crisis. So there's a lot of the institutional aspect here that could play a big role when when it comes to policy. Um, you mentioned policy. So how might policymaker make use of this knowledge? Well, it's actually a very good question. Like one of the things we're finding is uh, that 
this resource concentration pattern can lead to very unequal economies, which is something that has not been there in the literature. Because if you have a lot of resources in your export basket, then uh, labor-intensive goods will have trouble, and that means salaries will have trouble, whereas capital-intensive goods, it's not that they will thrive, they will suffer less than labor-intensive goods. So that means that there's a, there's a problem when a country hasn't yet started to diversify and only has natural resources, it tends to be an unequal country, which is a pattern that has been uh, discovered in the past, why resource countries are not only poor, but are also unequal. So I think this is an important finding. The other finding is some industries that will allow to move from developing or emerging to developed country are killed in the very early on part of that oil boom. And so one question for policymakers is, first, what can we do about it? And like Danny was saying, there are institutions that are called budgetary institutions that help an economy be isolated from the fluctuations in oil prices. So you create a saving fund that when oil prices is thriving, you save a lot of money that you in turn use when oil prices come down. And in that way, you sort of isolate the non-research sector from this huge volatility that the oil sector or the mineral sector may have. So that's one thing. And another thing, it's, is there any role for industrial policy to protect some of the non-research industries that a country has when there is an oil bomb? Uh, can this be done by other than the fund and is there any industrial policy whereby you select certain sectors and you try to protect those sectors from an oil boom? Because those are the sectors that will lead to the knowledge accumulation that eventually will help you become um, a richer country. Interesting. So the second part of what you said suggests that a country might want to anticipate that if there is a resource windfall and in the absence of it, it's kind of hard to save up for something that hasn't happened yet or to create policy around something that's not hit the economy yet and that is not even on the horizon, <laughs> right? So that is very interesting. And maybe, you know, some countries can learn from, like, the suffering of others. <laughs> that's right. Well, Venezuela took a long while to develop a saving fund. And the reason was that when oil prices were very high, everybody said, like, why are we going to create a fund to, ha to tie our own hands? Like, we are not going to be able to spend all this money. We, as government, want to spend all this money. So you wouldn't create the fund when you had a lot of money. And when oil price was down, people said, wait, why are we going to create a fund if we have no money to put in the fund now? Mm -hmm. So there's a political economy around the, the construction of these uh, saving or intergenerational funds based on uh, natural resources experts that it's, it's very difficult to overcome. And I guess that's where all the institutional maturity of countries that Danny was mentioning plays out. So my last question to you, Danny, if you want to touch upon how you plan to follow up with future research on this. As a CAD alumni who's now um, continuing uh, continue to work on, 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 on the importance of export diversification, this was one way on showing like, how there's so many difficulties for countries actually to diversify, to diversify that plays such an important role, that it could play a such an important role in, in growth. I've been focusing a little bit more on understanding not only the difficulties, but actually what are the possibilities, what are the opportunities for countries to diversify. Um, so 
I'm gonna uh, in the next few years. I think I'm gonna remove a little bit more from 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 looking at what makes it difficult, but what makes it easier. So I've been looking at a lot of migration, for instance, as an important driver of the diffusion of technologies and knowledge across countries, and that actually ends uh, results in countries being able to diversify their export basket um, and and thus reach higher levels of of growth and development. Interesting. Thank you. Um, thank you both, Miguel and Danny, for your time today and sharing your expertise. We we wish you the best for your future research. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thanks for having us. If you want to learn more about CID and our events, please visit cid.harvard.edu.